This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. Uh, we are speaking to an expert investor from uh, one of the biggest uh, investment firms in Australia. I was going to say one of the oldest, but I think it's just the oldest. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. So we spoke to the CEO of Perpetual uh, in our summer series, Mm -hmm. and uh, we've got one of Perpetual's superstar fund managers joining us today. It is our absolute pleasure to welcome Vince Pizzullo to the studio. Vince, welcome. Hi. How how is everyone? We're doing well. We're doing well. How are you? Good, thank you. That's good. Vince, you might be the first guest to ask us how we're doing. That's true. We appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. Nice way to start. My mother's taught me well. (laughs) So Vince is the portfolio manager of Perpetual Equity Investment Company. The ASX ticker is PIC, P-I-C, and he's also the deputy head of equities at Perpetual. Vince joins us today with over 25 years experience in financial services, 13 of those at Perpetual. At Perpetual, Vince is also the portfolio manager of the Australian Share, Geared Australian Share and Direct Equity Alpha Funds. So plenty on Vince's plate. But today we're going to be focusing on the uh, equity investment company, PIC, and uh, doing a bit of a deep dive on a couple of industries towards the end of this episode. Just a thank you to Perpetual for sponsoring this episode. If you'd like more information on Perpetual Equity Investment Company, head to perpetualequity.com.au. So let's kick it off, Ren. So Vince, uh, before we do all that, we'd love to start with you. uh, And we love to start with people's first investment. We generally find a good story or a good lesson comes out of it. So to kick us off today... Can you tell us the story of your first investment? Well, I had some uh, small little investments when I was 15, 16, but nothing that I didn't know a lot at the time and that amounted to pretty much what the outcome was for the investment. But the the one that I got most of my valuable lessons out of was in about 1996. I'd been working for a year or two, thought I knew everything, uh, and I bought some Apple actually in 1996. Jeez. I used some of my savings. I also put money in my credit card. Oh, wow. The only problem was when I bought it, this is before Steve Jobs joined in 97, 
uh, the stock like promptly fell 40% within about 12 months. Oh, no. I'll tell you one thing. It quickly teaches you about the power of financial leverage. Mm. It also started to like solidify because uh, a lot of noise around what was going on in Apple at the time. They were trying to transition from a, let's face it, it's a device company more than a software business. You know, they make cool things to a software business and they're trying to convert themselves into like to look like a Microsoft, which was you know highly successful at the time. But that's sort of like going away from its DNA. So you sort of learn how to uh, always write down why you buy something. Just write a couple of rules as to why you're buying this and then just keep keep an eye on it. Because you're going to need to know those reasons because it gets quite, quite noisy when things go wrong. Mm, mm. Fortunately, uh, that near-death experience of, of you know, me uh, getting chased by MasterCard, um, <laughs> you know, I hung on to them for a while and, and then, you know, sold them a couple of years ago. So... What it does teach is about you make your money over the long run rather than the short run. You've got to just keep those two things in mind. There's no quick money. There is no quick money. And yeah, certainly leverage early in an investing journey can be quite dangerous, but must have been nice to get in Apple at 96. So <laughs> well done. Um, over, over that time, though, Vince, since 96 to now, ha- have you developed uh, a personal investment philosophy? Yeah, I have. Always start with do your own research when you invest. Don't rely on third parties. You can get information from third parties, but you've got to do your own grunt work. Try to make the investment case as simple as possible. Don't try and overcomplicate it. It usually only comes down to two to three things uh, whenever you invest in a company that will typically drive the performance of the company over time. So always keep it very simple. Don't get distracted. Uh, I mentioned earlier about, you know, write down the reasons why you own something and in that, you know, write down the risks to that view. Also, through the whole period, always test your thinking on the on your investment. Look for the you should actively look for your opposing views on on the on the stock or the company because a lot of people fall into the trap of confirmation bias. You know, falling in love with something. You should always test your ability to initial uh, base case as to why you made that investment. So always read the opposite opinion because you you'll be able to find out pretty quickly whether you. You're sort of ignoring the, let's put it in a cognitive dissonance, basically, where there's a lot of ch- facts changing and you're, you're refusing to change with those facts. And the last one, as I mentioned prior on the Apple store, Apple investment, was just be very patient. Mm. The multi-bags that you can earn over a decade, they take a decade for a reason. It just takes a while for the market to find the undiscovered gem. It can take a while. Some great points there. And um, yeah, they, they bear repeating patience, uh, writing down your thesis and really testing that thesis. Um, I don't think we can hear that enough. But look, Vince, uh, Bryce mentioned at the beginning that it sounds like you've really got your work cut out for you at Perpetual. You are the portfolio manager of four funds, uh, the Perpetual Equity Investment Company ASX Ticket Pick, which we're really here to talk about today, but also the Australian Shares Fund, Geared Australian Shares Fund, and the Direct Equity Alpha Fund. How does it work, PMing for strategies? And apologies if this is a dumb question, but we're not in the industry. How does it work? It's not a dumb question. Um, <laughs> it's a very good question. Uh, look, we've got a pretty large and well-resourced team at Perpetual. You know, we've got our own internal research function. As a portfolio manager, I was once an analyst doing pure equity research. So that's the steps you go through to eventually become a portfolio manager. But having a team of internal, a team of analysts internally, allows me to sort of like divorce myself a little bit from thinking about the valuations of the companies. Like you tested, I tested uh, by speaking to my internal team. That gives me a lot of bandwidth to do, to manage the risks of the portfolios. 
Obviously, with portfolio management, and there's four different, sort of like four different strategies you mentioned, they all have sort of like the investors looking for four different outcomes. That can be challenging, but we've got plenty of systems in place. Each one of them has their own set of rules, and their outcomes are different. They have different number of stocks. Some include international stocks. Some include just purely domestic. Or they're like, as mentioned earlier, it's in a listed strategy like the pit, or they're in a traditional fund. But as you know, with experience, this is like an old-timers game, investing. So with experience, you can sort of ignore a lot of the noise and you prioritise information that sort of you highlighted earlier that confirms or detracts from your investment thesis. And as I mentioned, it might be only three things, maybe four things. Mm. So you tend to edit quite well. You have to be good at editing information. You know, the setup of Perpetual is we've been around for, you know, 50-odd, 60 years investing and with our processes about the same amount of time time. there is a cookie cutter element to that in that it's a very fixed process and philosophy it can be done but you need quite a bit of people around quite a good team around you we've got an excellent team well let's have a chat about the perpetual equity investment company can you talk us through the strategy that you have for it the philosophy behind it and your approach to that fund so the, the pick was, uh, if you think about it, Perpetual's been in managed funds for, well, the industrial share funds like at least 55 years old, I think. That's one of our prime oldest funds, incredible track record over decades. The pick is actually our first listed strategy. They've been LFCs around for a while, but it's taken us at least that long to get it right, I suspect. But it was specifically designed for direct investors and you know has the SMSF investor at its core and its thinking. The strategy is sort of based on Perpetual's quality and value philosophy, so which we've been utilising for several decades. We wanted to bring this into a listed format. makes it a bit easier for people to get access to Perpetual style and the way we do things. And with the pick being our first LSC, look, we always like the idea of, because of, as a quality and value manager, we tend to favour you know, margin of safety and valuations. We favour dividends, and in particular, frank dividends. We always That's what we're looking for. In an LSC, as you know, we can pay fully frank dividends to the investors, the shareholders. And a traditional fund structure, as you know, the any gains you make, make in a year, you have to pay 100% of those gains out, which means it can lead to capital gains tax issues. And whereas with the, an LIC listed investment structure, we can build a buffer and hold retain some of those those profits, which is what we do in the pick. We've we're trying to build a buffer, which we've effectively done now. We build like five years of dividends as a buffer, which we can fully frank. So there's like some benefits to the the underlying investors in the pick. It's quite a concentrated strategy. It's between 20 and 30 stocks typically, and we can go up to 35% in offshore companies as well. So it's quite a broad mandate to invest. It's very benchmark unaware. We don't really care what's listed on the ASX 300. If, just because it's bigger doesn't mean we're going to own it, but that's not excluding that either. So it was a very flexible strategy. It was designed for the SMSF and direct investor at heart. So Vince, you say there that you don't worry about the benchmark, uh, but you have outperformed the benchmark over two, three, five, and seven years. Um, But when Bryce and I were preparing for this interview, we joked, and uh, we mean no offense by this, (laughs) but uh, we joked that you could call it boring portfolio, exciting returns. Uh, Because (laughs) some of the biggest holdings in the portfolio are Pretty well-known Australian companies, BHP, Santos, Westpac, ANZ. They're not exactly the exciting end of town, um, but obviously the returns speak for themselves. When you're looking for companies to put in the PIC portfolio, uh, what are you looking for? You're right. They, they, they seem very boring, but any, any company can get exciting 
based on what price you pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm always looking for the lowest risk I can take for the maximum return I can generate off that risk. So if I can get boring and it's trading 50% below it's what we believe is fundamental value, I'll take that risk every day. So you're right. These sort of companies like you talked about, like we do own BHP and Santos and two of the banks. You know, we were buying those during the initial phase of corona in 2020. And the financials and resources being the most economically sensitive really got punished. Basically, they got they halved in value, a lot of them, which basically was implying that we're going to go into quite a severe extended recession, if not close to a depression. As an investor, when you start seeing markets get that extreme and the way they price risk into a company and, you know, sort of like permanently impair the future returns of that company, that's when you should be thinking about investing in those companies, particularly, as you mentioned, they are boring, but they're quite steady in the way they they operate. And it's at times of market stress where you do get an ability to buy, you know, top 20 stocks even that can give you a 50% return. And you should always be thinking about that. You don't need to go to the speculative end of the market to generate those returns. Investors should always think about what's my maximum upside for a given level of risk? What am I willing to lose, so to speak? But that happens once in every market cycle where you'll be able to buy really high quality businesses at half the valuation. Mm. You should always be thinking about that, that you don't need to go super speculative. And you know, having said that, you know, in the pick, We've got companies which are less than a billion dollars in market cap and we've got companies that are offshore listed in the UK and France and and the US. So as I mentioned earlier, the strategy is quite flexible that we can pretty much go anywhere in a sense that we're not restricted by market cap or size um, or even geography. So we just let the market tell us what it thinks. You know, let the market say, we don't like these stocks. That should pique your interest all the time. Do a bit of work. Think about why the market's saying that. And is there an opportunity in that? If there is, you know, you've got to back yourself. So Vince, you mentioned quality there a couple of times and, you know, preparing for this episode, it came about that Perpetual has four quality tests for a stock to actually make it into your investable universe. So for those that are wondering what quality means to you, can you talk us through what these sort of quality tests are? Yeah, so we've got four quality filters, which we apply to every company that to become investable, they have to tick these four quality filters off. We call them filters. We start off with typically quality of business, like a quality, what is a quality of business? And we typically look at, uh, there's no magic bullet here. You look at a few things. We look at the industry structure. You look at how many competitors are in that industry. You look at the position of that company in the industry. Uh, you look at the returns of that industry. You, you try and understand directionally where the returns may be going on a whole. Uh, you look at again the, the returns the company's generating. Is it above industry stand above industry? Is there a reason for that? Is there a strategic reason? Is there a, techni- a technical reason for that? And then you look at the risks of that. You know, are they natural monopolies? Can a capital enter and exit an industry really quickly? It's it does sound quite simple, but it is like the good old SWOT analysis. You know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. You just got to write those things down. That's what we do. We test for quality of business. Then we look at conservative debt. We always a pretty hard and fast measure on balance sheets. The type of metrics we look at is we start with a debt to equity ratio of no greater than 50%. Uh, Some industries, like when you think about the more utility style industries, monopolistic style industries, they can typically run with higher than 50% debt to equity. And in those cases, we'll look at interest cover, which is like like to think of it like a loan serviceability ratio. So it'll be EBIT interest cover. So we look at how many times EBIT do you have to cover your interest bill every year. And at a minimum, 
it has to be three times at the low point of the cycle. Mm. So for simple businesses like uh, building materials or mining companies, etc., we won't invest in a company where it goes below three. Uh, occasionally, companies will can get into trouble for whatever reason and it'll dip below three. And what we typically look at is we'll contact the company, we'll assess the ability of that company to basically sort that situation out and we'll assess whether it's a permanent feature. And if it's a permanent feature, we actually kick the company out of our universe, investable universe, and we'll sell. If we have a position, we'll sell that position down. The third filter we typically use is we look at sound management. Now, management's going to can make you a lot of money, but they can definitely destroy your business if you've got the wrong people in, in management. So how do we typically assess them? We look at, always start with the remuneration package. CEOs are quite smart. They'll always try to maximise their, their wealth, which is great, as long as it's aligned with shareholders. So look at the REM package, see it's aligned with the interests of the shareholders. Uh, doesn't match the type of company it is. We look at how the CEO management behaves, look at their history in particular, where they've been, see how much they've got a good successful track record, particularly if they work for different types of companies, you want to understand how they, they uh, apply the right strategy for the right company. And that's when we look at strategy and what management puts forward doesn't match the company's prospects. You know, if you're thinking about sort of growth companies, typically they're growing quickly, they need a lot of cash as they're growing, paying a dividend doesn't look, sort of make a lot of sense initially. You know, you want them to reinvest in the business and not issue equity the whole time. So you've got, to, you've got to weigh all those things up. You're looking for red flags, really, in management. Where I've lost money is when management's alignment was not with its shareholders. They're hard lessons to learn. And the last thing, one of the, the fourth quality filter we look at is recurring earnings. We don't sort of invest in concept stocks. All the companies we invest in, and it sounds boring, needs to make money. Making money is really hard. It's quite a discipline to produce a profit. We don't mind if they're cyclical, that's fine. But as long as the company can finance itself, generates free cash flow to invest in its business, but is typically profitable through the, through the business cycle. When you look at the, the balance sheet and the profitability measures, I think it's prophetic to say for times like these at the moment is that that gets you out of trouble because when a company can't finance itself or has got a really bad balance sheet, uh, they typically may not survive the business cycle. And you know, a lot of companies now are struggling to, will probably not exist within the next two to three years because they don't have either of that. Typically, during tough times, funding markets dry up. So if you're an equity investor in a business which has a really bad balance sheet, you're either going to get tapped on the shoulder for a very dilutive raising, capital raising, or it, the company will just will go broke. Vince, it's a, it's a very 2022 uh, thing to hear you say, it may sound boring, but the company has to actually make money. Um, I think, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. you're, you're not the only one that is um, saying that uh, profit's going to matter a lot more than valuations in the coming years. Mark Andreessen, one of the biggest venture capitalists in the world, came out and said something very similar recently. Thinks a lot of these big unicorns that are, have big valuations but don't make profits are in for a rude awakening in the coming years. So earnings, they might they might seem boring, but uh, they are incredibly important. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we've got a few big picture questions to ask you. And then we want to take a deep dive into... Uh, two industries that uh, feature heavily in your portfolio. But before then, we'll just take a quick break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So Vince, uh, before the break, uh, we spoke a little bit about the perpetual equity investment company ASX ticker pick uh, that you are the portfolio manager of, the philosophy that uh, you invest uh, there. We want to take a step back and just ask a few questions about the big picture uh, and how you and the team at Perpetual see it. Now, Perpetual are known as bottom-up investors, but I guess generally, how are you seeing the world and how are you seeing markets right now? Um, That's a really important question because things have sort of changed a bit. It's, it's pretty it's self-evident. Everyone can see it today. The market's always, you know, looking forward and trying to price in, you know, any sort of deltas or changes in economic prospects. So when you look at it, it's probably hastened now that you know, fragmentation of everything is sort of like the buzzword we're thinking about. The old rules of engagement in business have sort of been abandoned now. People on the, on the line understand what a DuPont ROE is, the return on equity. And that's generated by your profit margins, your asset turn, so your asset efficiency, and finally your, your financial leverage or leverage. And for the last 30 to 40 years, particularly since China entered the World Trade Organization, every company was told to maximize their profits by offshoring staff or getting rid of the labor in the business. Uh, that you know, sort of tried to maximize your, your profit margins. You were told to don't actually own any physical assets. Mm. Right? You just get rid of your business, try and offshore it. Again, you know, build the plant in China or Vietnam, et cetera, mostly China originally. You can do that for a quarter of the cost and you can build significantly more capacity out of it. So that, you know, lowered your capital. So you, you, you improved your asset efficiency, your asset turn. And then lastly, because we've had record low rates for quite a while, you know, companies and particular CEOs were encouraged to buy back stock because the cost of debt was very low. Mm. So, you know, so your after-tax return on, on debt, uh, cost of debt was quite low. So you're encouraged to, you know, if you're trading off 30 25 times PE or 30 times PE, even your earnings yield, which is your inverse of your, your PE, is, you know, 3 to 4%. And your after-tax cost of debt might be 3%. So there's a big arbitrage there. So you, you saw it for the last 10 to 15 years, just this de-equitization, companies buying back stock. Well, the fact of what we've seen over the last 18 months suggests that that's probably going to all reverse. Are you going to see companies kind of probably, because you saw supply chain shortages you saw material shortages. Companies are now caught where their manufacturing bases are. You're going to see the sort of reversal of all that. You're going to have to see more staff or a higher cost staff. You're going to have to carry more of your, your onshore, your manufacturing, or you carry way more inventory onshore. And when you carry inventory or work in progress or et cetera, that burns up your cash. It's, it's taking up more of your cash flow just sitting in inventory. Um, you can't run just in time. You have to now run just in case. It's a well-worn t- uh, term. That lowers your profit margins and it lowers your a- ability to generate asset turn. And lastly, with interest rates going up and even credit spreads blowing out a little bit, the ability to buy back stock now is going to be a lot more expensive uh, unless you're trading quite cheaply. I suspect the de-equitization is sort of over a bit at this point. And all of that does is pre- puts pressure on your return on equity, which is what us investors get. 
that's spread over your cost of capital. So the reversal, that means you need to um, – we don't sort of invest in, in concept stocks, stocks, as I said earlier. In an inflationary type of environment, uh, you want to be looking at sectors which have structural shorts in them where there's an undersupply of goods or materials and you want to go as far upstream as you can. You want to get the source of the materials. So that's why we're going to get onto it in a second, but the energy and material sectors are really important. No one's experienced this sort of inflation that's been in the market for the last 20 years. It's been quite a benign environment, so it's a new experience for a lot of people. Um, and also, don't forget, if you think about the GFC and the dirty word there was fiscal policy. You know, austerity was the word of the day, where they ran very trying to get balanced budgets or run uh, surpluses. Well, now that's the reverse. Now, with government sort of spending a lot more money, that's in, within itself is very inflationary as well. And But the market's okay with it at the moment. Um, we'll see what happens when bond yields really back up a bit, though. So that's a very different environment to the last 15, 20 years. So if you use the last 15, 20 years as an environment to, to determine what you should be buying, you could get yourself in a bit of trouble. So you really need to have quite a bit of balance in your portfolio. So that's how we sort of like to see the big picture. You know, you've got deglobalization, and again, these are all buzzwords, which I hate, but decarbonisation as well. You know, you can't just decarbonise it without being a cost. There will be a cost. I think the Ukraine war sort of tipped everyone off as to what the reality of the situation is. So there's quite a few themes there. As you mentioned earlier, rightly, we're sort of bottom up, but we do think about those things, those bigger themes as to, you know, where the opportunities in the market are. So we want to have a... Uh, a bit of a deeper dive on a couple of the industries that you're invested in. You mentioned energy and resources, but we'll start with insurance. And with everything that you've just sort of spoken about from a, a bigger picture perspective, um, interested to hear why insurance is an industry that is uh, in the portfolio and the and the uh, the role that it plays in the portfolio. You've you've got investments in Insurance Australia Group, the ticker IAG, and Suncorp Group. The ticker is SUN. So, yeah, why insurance and, and what role is it playing in, in the portfolio? So insurance is quite a cyclical sector. For the last couple of years, you need to get your timing right um, on insurance uh, because it has typically two things you're always going to consider in insurance is the pricing cycle, you know, where, you know, you, you get insurance premiums every year. And if there's quite a bit of new capital, we talk, remember I talked to you earlier about where we assess the industry the quality of the business, mm-hmm. you always look at how easy is it for capital to come in and compete away excess returns. Now, in insurance, that can be the case. With very low interest rates, capital is effectively nearly close to free, which means they can compete away in financial-type products and services like insurance, which has been the case for a while, for the last couple of years. But now with the cost of capital and interest rates going up, it makes it very hard for people to come into an industry where uh, a financial service or good luck insurance, you need a lot more to survive rather than just cheap capital. And with insurance, we're exposed, you mentioned Insurance Australia Group, IAG and Suncorp, that's their known as short tail insurance. So they do home and, and motor insurance, right? And they do um, SME insurance. They're considered to be short tail because you, you renew your policy every year and you know the risks within the insurance book every year. You see the catastrophes that occur every year, et cetera and you know what you're going to pay out. So you can reprice your book effectively annually. And that's really important because when you get inflation and in insurance, you know, if you think about repair costs, anyone tries to repair, anyone's ever tried to get a uh, something around your house repaired, you know what the inflation is like when the, uh, from the minute the, the tradie walks in the front door, by the time it gets to the actual, your back door, it's gone up about 10%. <laughs> 
that's a real that's a real cost. So you need an ability to reprice. Now with insurance, there's also another significant leverage. It, it has significant leverage to interest rates because they're technical reserves, which are reserves they have to hold because of regulatory rules like APRA sets rules regarding capital adequacy. That's been, that has typically been invested in very high quality securities, which is typically government bonds. And when they're earning, when the government bonds trading with a zero rate, they are earning zero money on that, those funds. Now, as interest rates rise, though, those funds which are earning zero are going to earn something all of a sudden. So that, that's a free, that's a bit of a kicker. And that's why insurance is quite leveraged to rising rates, interest rates. So in Australia at the moment, you have a positive pricing cycle in insurance. Premiums are going up because of the number of events we're having, and you have rising rates. So these two things were headwinds three to four years ago. They're now sort of tailwinds. And with the insurance sector, it's actually not it's not trading that expensive either. It's quite a cheap sector, in particular IAG. It's, it's trading at a price that hasn't traded for six or seven or eight years. So uh, there's a lot of this. It has some issues, but we think that's priced into the into the price of the equity today. And there's not much upside being priced in for where we are in the cycle. Yeah, so Vince, on that, you mentioned the increase in events. And I guess for the layperson like myself, when I think about insurance, that's where my mind first goes. You know, the increase in bushfires and flooding and and everything else that Australia is living through at the moment. I would think that insurance is a difficult industry um, because of the increases in extreme weather. I guess, first of all, how do you think about that at the moment? But then second of all, when you're making a case for you know sort of five to seven years in the future um, when you're thinking about these stocks long term how do you even factor in something like the increase in extreme weather due to climate change so as i said earlier it is a cyclical sector it's no different to resource companies or building materials companies etc you've got to get your timing right uh, when you buy and sell insurance companies the most important thing to consider when you look at an insurance company, is it well capitalised, right? Do they have enough regulatory capital and a buffer on top of that to take adva- to basically buffer you against uh, extreme events? Fortunately, we've got a you know domestic regulator in APRA, which runs pretty precise measures on how much capital they need to run and their provisioning levels as well, how much provisioning they're running. And the two Aussie, two Australian ones, Suncorp and IAG, they are reasonably conservatively geared and they have, ex- both of them have excess capital and they do run pretty significant reinsurance programs where they, they reinsure the risk away off their balance sheet uh, to catastrophes. So that sort of gives you, that's your starting point is to make sure that you're buying something which has some excess capital for that rainy day and are well provisioned and have a reasonably well thought out reinsurance program to lay off some of their risk. So typically for an insurance cycle, it does price stock go from between one to three to five years. I think we're still in the middle of the repricing cycle in Australia. So when it comes to the catastrophe you mentioned or more extreme weather, remember because it's an annual renewal, they reprice the new risk next year. And it can take you can be sometimes 18 months to recover the margin from an event. We're in effectively La Nina now, so a lot of weather. But it, there'll be a point where that reverses. We'll be uh, El Nino, and then it's dry weather, and there's way less events all of a sudden. So uh, I said it's cyclical. It's not easy. It's not for the faint-hearted sometimes insurance companies. <laughs> I've discovered yeah. that over many years. So just start with that well-capitalized rate at the start, and then they've got good provisioning, and it is insurance. Expect accidents. Yeah. Yeah, nice. So let's turn to energy and resources, Vince. In um, in the portfolio, you've got pretty heavy exposure to the resource sec- sector. You've got Santos, BHP, and Javoice Global. So, you know, we've seen over the past year or so that there's been some pretty significant and strong 
uh, movement in commodity prices. So what's Perpetual's view on commodity prices going forward? We try not to forecast commodity prices. The history of forecasting resource prices by the market is, is not great. There are always these exogenous factors. Um, the geopolitic in itself can knock you for six a bit and it can be come out of the blue. So we don't try to focus on that. We try to look at, again, focus on industry structure, look for the metal resource or energy that is short, that is structurally short in supply, uh, or there's upside to demand in the future, which is likely to exceed the supply. And always bring it back to what you're paying for. Uh, look at the valuation, look at the price and look at the valuations and balance sheets. In resources, it's really important. You consider the balance sheet because they can go pop in the night, those ones. Uh, if, they, if they haven't got a great balance sheet, resource companies, which are, and a lot of them are single asset companies, if something goes wrong, they will have trouble surviving. Mm. Mm. So uh, BHP obviously is, you know, it's Australia's biggest company now that it's returned from uh, its dual listing in London. It it seems to just go from strength to strength. It's obviously uh, recalibrated its portfolio, I guess, a little bit over the past few years, getting out of, you know, oil recently and um, coal a little bit before that. Also uh, reorientating its balance sheet uh, and its, I guess its portfolio a little bit. Of the majors, why do you like BHP over Rio? BHP, its valuation is not that dissimilar to Rio. We like the spread of commodities. There's a lot more balance in their exposures. Because Rio is a lot more of an iron ore company, purely. And we get our iron ore exposure through a company called Deterra, which is got spun out of Iluca uh, a year or two ago. And it's an iron ore royalty company. That's how we get our iron ore exposure through Deterra. It's simply because of just the structure of the ex- resource base that BHV has. Yeah, right. And then, Vince, uh, to close out this deep dive, you've got an investment in Javois. So can you tell us why uh, why that's of interest in the role that it's playing in the portfolio? Uh, it's a cobalt nickel company. It's quite hard to find cobalt exposure in Australia. Obviously, really important um metal for battery minerals, but also um, defence. It's a key ingredient for defence as well. Javar sort of developing the only cobalt mine in North America, which is important because if you look at cobalt itself, Javar has a, a, a cobalt refinery in Finland, which is significant in size and quite important to the non-Chinese market. They also own a refinery in Brazil as well, which more importantly is backed by a very cheap energy and hydroelectricity. So from an ESG perspective, it's uh, one of the better assets. And it's quite a strategic business in that sense. I mentioned earlier about management. A lot of the management of Javier or ex-Glencore, which is a large mining company renowned for its ability to execute on strategic plans. And we quite like the management. It's got a good balance sheet. And I said earlier, it's hard to get exposure to cobalt directly, and this is probably the only way you can do it. And we think the market recognise that you know, in the future. So, uh, Vince, before we just get to the final three questions that we uh, that we'll rip through at the end, just want to say thank you for your time today. Been an absolute pleasure, and uh, thank you to obviously Perpetual for sponsoring this episode as well. If you'd like more information on the Perpetual Equity investment uh, company, then head to perpetualequity.com.au to find out more information. But Vince, we do close each episode with three questions. So Ren, let's crack into it. Let's do it. So Vince, the first uh, question we like to finish with, do you have any books that you consider must read? Yeah, I, I usually read every year, uh, One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch, that's well known, uh, and Common Stocks, Uncommon Profit by Philip Fisher. Two great books there. Uh, the second question, forget valuation, forget it as an investment today or any day, just purely on what the company is and what it does. What's the best company you've ever come across? 
Uh, from an Australian context, I'd have to say CSL. Their ability to generate those high returns and to reinvest for 30-odd, 40 years, 30 years, and to be able to grow the business and maintain those returns has been quite impressive. But I'll you know, leave you with this thought, though. Yeah. The top 10 companies that you see today will not be the top 10 companies in the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the survival price in the market's quite high. Yeah. Not even Macquarie. Well, I was going to say, you, you <laughs> say... You say that, but Perpetual is what Australia's oldest company or something? Or <laughs> you've been around yeah. for like 160 Are you years? Are trying to get me to say whether Perpetual is one of the best companies? No, well, no. Oh, I'm just—it's one of the oldest companies, is what I'm saying. I say it is one of the oldest companies, and it's—it's it's stuck to its uh, knitting for that long. It's a—it's a quality company. Mm, yeah, but I, I do—I do love the CSL answer. It's funny. Um, the really the only critique we ever hear about it on the show is. Uh, that it's trading at too high a valuation. Um, the qu- the quality of the business can isn't really disputed by anyone. Yeah, that's right. But Vince, final question: We want you to cast your mind back to when you were, uh, you know, levering up using your credit card <laughs> to invest in Apple. Uh, yeah. If you could speak to your younger self, what advice would you give your younger self? If you've done the work, right, you're not going to have all the answers. You can only invest with 50 to 60% of the answers, typically I find. A lot of it is spurious information. Is if you've done the work, back yourself. You always have that nagging feeling. Yeah. At the time, it feels like you haven't invested enough, typically, but that's only post the investment when they've gone up three or four times. So if you've done the work, back, truly back yourself, that's the only way to really generate any wealth. Nice. Great way to finish the episode, Vince. Thank you so much for your time. It's been really enjoyable unpacking sort of the, the perpetual uh, investing philosophy for PIC. So a reminder, if you would like any more information, head to perpetualequity.com.au. But Vince, thank you. And uh, we look forward to uh, catching up again at some point in the future. No, that was really terrific. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak. Thanks, Vince. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.